Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Good morning. Good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bibles. Hey, if you brought a copy of the Scriptures with you and open with me. You've been here once before, a couple weeks ago, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26 and go through verse 31. You say, wait a minute, didn't you do that? I did. And we're going to end right where we started when we began this series on the Imago Day or the image of God. So let me let you find your place there. And as you're turning, let me uh, just, uh, let me say to you, somebody uh, I spoke to this morning, I said, uh, I said, daylight savings times are one of the worst days for preachers because we, we start with, man, I tell you, I'd rather fight the devil than, than for you to have to fight your pillow on daylight savings time day because it's, it'd be an easier battle some days, you know, but thank you so much for being here. Those of you that are in the room and for those of you who are joining online, thank you so much for worshiping uh, together. It's a big deal that God gives us the privilege, the opportunity to be able to come together and to worship and study his word and offer praise to him for who alone is worthy. Now, we're studying in uh, this series over the last couple of weeks on the image of God or the Latin, the Imago Dei. And as we've looked at that, we've seen a couple of different concepts. I want to bring that series to a, conclu to a conclusion today. Let me introduce the message to you uh, in this way. Uh, John was meeting with his pastor and was just having uh, some conversations with him about his relationship. And after they exchanged pleasantries, you know how folks do in conversation, then it kind of got down to the real root of the issue. John shared with his pastor and said, uh, he said, to be honest with you, I just feel like I'm without direction. I feel like I lack aim. I feel like I'm going through the motions, but I'm not necessarily getting anywhere. It's not an uncommon feeling, of course, and the pastor kind of probed around a little bit, and as he asked a few questions and shared, John, he asked John about his salvation. Tell me about when you became a Christ follower. And he said, well, I, I was at a VBS way back when I was in elementary school, and I prayed and gave my life to Christ, and my parents uh, taught us to go to church, and I went most Sundays, but admittedly, John shared that he never really had grown much in his faith, never had really become much more than that. And again, that's not an uncommon idea when we think about it. John lacked a sense of commitment. In some sense, he had commitment. He had committed to the Lord. He had the Lord, but the question was, did the Lord have him? Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever felt like you were wandering around, like you were, you knew the right things, you'd been taught the right things, you could recite the right things, but there was something still missing? It's this third component of the image of God that was missing in John's life, and I hope we'll find a piece of that for us if that's you today, if you've ever found yourself in that place. See, at times, we come to realize that when we hear messages about being created in the image of God, we tend to focus on things like our identity or our value, both of which are true. But Christianity is more than just that. Sometimes we're predisposed to think about our status 
over our service. In church circles, here's how we say it. We say, hey, I'm more interested in being than in doing. And hey, listen, we have to be, but out of our being should flow our doing. You know, it works that way with God. God himself is, and because he is, he also does. God acts for our good because he is good. God treats us honestly because he is truth. Some people who name the name of Jesus really struggle with contentment in their faith, not because of their not being, but because their being has not necessarily manifested itself in doing. What I want to talk with you about today is I want to talk with you about how to how to grab a hold of this purpose for which God created you. He made you for a reason. And if we could grasp that, I think not only would we realize the fullness of who he's made us to be, but we'd also find contentment in doing what he's made us to do. That's why I want to take us back to Genesis 1. I want to end where we began, and I want us to look together and see that not only did God make us in his image and from that identity that we gained value, but I want you to see also that he has given us purpose. Genesis 1, we're going to begin in verse 26. Hey, let me invite you, to, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Genesis 1, verse 26. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. The Scripture says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening and morning, the sixth day. Pause right there. Father, would you even in these moments, would you so open our minds and hearts to see and understand that you've given us yourself. You've created us in your image and because of that you've assigned to us we've inherited an unlimited value unparalleled by any other aspect of your creation but God you did not create us to wander aimlessly but with purpose so would you have your will and way today would you instruct our hearts about why you've created us and God as we grasp that I pray that we would do the only right and rightful thing for Christ followers to do, which is to respond in surrender and obedience. And then God, would you do something with that? Would you receive it as our act of worship? And then would you use us to turn the world upside down for Jesus' sake? This we ask in Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated and hey, listen, if you're following along on the app, there's an outline there. And I want to show you, uh, if I could, three key actions that comprise the image of God. Three key actions that comprise the image of God. Hey, if, uh, if you would like to have 
this outline but you don't have the app you could simply text the word notes to the number that you see on the screen or and I know you shouldn't get excited about little stuff but when we got this today I thought how excited we actually provided paper for people that want to go straight up old school all right you can actually write your sermon notes but you'll just have to write fast all right so anyway we've got all of this actually what I love the most about can I just take an aside and say what I love most about this it gives me some sense of hope that we're going to get back to whatever normal was. I mean, it's been a blessed year. I finally can get menus in a restaurant, and now you can get a worship folder when you come to church. I mean, things must be going right in the world, for heaven's sake. All right, I digress. Let me show you these three key actions, if I could, please. Number one, I want you to see with me, first of all, I want you to see with me work as the image of God. Work itself. The act of working work as part of the image of God. Now that may catch you by surprise, so let me unpack that a little bit for you. Did you notice when we were reading, did you notice in verse 26, he said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, here's the working word, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice that the first implication God says after he says let's make man in our image the very first thing he says after that is to give an assignment of purpose or give us something to do. In other words he unveils or reveals why we were made in his image. He didn't begin with oh and let them understand their incredible value. Let them have a great self-image. Let them have he didn't do any of that. He said let's make man in our image and let them rule over all of creation. The very first thing God did, the very first implication of the being created in the image of God is this sense of purpose. It's the sense of why you and I exist. That's the greatest question perhaps ever. Why am I here? And God says, I want you to understand precisely why you're here. You're here to superintend, to steward over all that I've created. Something, something, that the concept of work is a consequence of the fall. They read in Genesis 3 where God, after, after man had fallen, where he said, he said, now you're going to have to farm and you're going to have thorns and thistles and, and childbearing is going to be laborious. It's going to be a, it's going to be a lot of work. And he thinks, oh man, if Adam and Eve, if grandma uh, Eve and grandpa Adam hadn't messed up, we would be floating around on clouds playing harps and just chilling. Well, that's an interesting idea. It's just not the scripture. Did you notice that the concept of work preceded the fall? Let us make man in our image. Let them rule over. Everything is very good in verse 31. We don't get into falling until chapter 3. It's two chapters over before we experience the fall of humanity. The idea of work is not some curse. It's actually a sign of blessing. And God blessed them and commanded them. It's a, it's a sense of blessing. It came before sin ever entered the world. Well, why did God need us to work before sin entered the world? I mean, after all, were there wild stallions that needed to be broken in some of God's creation? Were there some rebellious lions ravaging herds of antelope somewhere on the African plain and God needed to send people to take care of problems? Was there a problem to be solved? No, it was very good. And work was still part of the blessing. 
This concept of purpose is essential to what it is to be created in the image of God. Now, if I've not yet convinced you, let me continue. None of of the problems that we think probably precipitated work were actually here in the context. When God gave us the idea of work, it wasn't to solve a problem for him because God had a need that he couldn't take care of on his own. So he created us so that we could be his hands and feet and go fulfill it. When God gave us work to do, do you know what that work was? Let me show it to you. God's creative work served one purpose. In other words, when God worked, by the way, he was the first one to work. When God worked, his purpose, his primary goal, his main purpose, his, his, his telos, the intended end for him was to manifest his own glory. If you're taking notes, jot down Psalm 19 in verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse declares the very works of his hands. All of creation exists for one purpose, to declare the very glory of God. Psalm 50 and verse 6, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 97 and verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness and all people have seen his glory. Why did God create all that he created? So that people would look at it and they would see the very glory of God. Wait a minute. So then that might mean that if we're created in the image of God, we exist to bring about the glory of God. Well, if you go to the perfect one of creation, if you go to the perfect one, the, uh, the incarnation of the very Son of God, Jesus said he existed to bring glory to God. Not only does God creation declare his work, but, or declare his glory, but the Son of God manifested God's glory to mankind. John 17 and verse 4 says, Jesus prayed and he says, I glorified you, Father, on the earth, having accomplished, here it is, the work which you have given me to do. The heavens declare his glory, the very Son of God declared his glory, and as men created in God's image, we're called to bring about flourishing in order to maximize God's glory. We're called to bring about the abundance, the magnification of God's glory. Go back to verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish and over the birds and over the cattle and over, I don't even know what every creeping thing is, but it's a big category. I have some ideas of those things that creep on the earth. But all I know is we've been given dominion over. In fact, I took dominion over a couple of little creepers that came out on the sidewalk yesterday. I walked out the front door and I thought, is it snake season already? There's two little bitty snakes out there. And someone, one of you is going to send me an email later and go, were they poisonous? They're not anymore. (laughs) They won't hurt a soul, I'll promise you. In fact, I've returned them as ashes to ashes and dust to dust. I sent them where all snakes go at the end of their days. They just didn't know the end of their days were coming that soon. We've been given dominion over all things. Hey, listen, not so that we could make much of ourselves, but so that we could make much of the creator who created us and created all things. That's what I mean by flourishing. To, to, to bring about flourishing means to superintend it. It means to care for it. It means to magnify it. We were created in the image of God, we were blessed by God, and we were assigned a task 
by God. And that's why God declared all of that to be very good. Verse 31 simply says God saw, listen, all that he had made, even those little snakes. God saw, see some of you are having a hard time with that right now. I just, I sensed it in my, just like a disturbance in the force or something. You know, it's like you thought that God's not even blessed by snakes. Didn't he make them? Look, he even made, he even made mosquitoes. And you're thinking, bunch of bloodsuckers, what do you make those for? I don't know. If it's still important when I get there, I'll ask him. I don't think any of them made it to heaven, by the way. I'm just, I'm certain of it. But anyway, God saw all that he made and behold, it was not good, not kind of good. It was the only time God ever pronounced it this way. It was very good. And then he ceased from his work. All parts of the very good of God's creative work of all, all of these things, work as he's given to us, this concept of, of flourishing and bringing it about, of magnifying his glory, we're all part of his very good. Well, who's it very good for? Was it very good for God? Or was it very good for the world? Or was it very good for us? And the Englewood answer is, yes. It's good for all of us. You mean pursuing purpose, work? That is good for us? Oh man, is it ever? For without it, we would never get to experience the fullness of God's power working in and through us. We'd never get to see that. Hey, I found this in a, in a reading I was in this week. Psalm 107, verses 23 and 24. Notice what he says. Now, I'm an army guy, so I have to work at this a little bit. But it says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great, water, on, the great, on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. That's a verse it brought back to, to mind. I did some meditating on that a couple years ago. And I thought, if you've ever been out on the ocean, man, I'm gonna tell you, there's some aspects of being out there that you think about, you're fully aware of how small you are and how big the world is. And by the way, if the wind starts blowing, you're fully aware of how little control you actually have in the world. It's amazing. Here's what he said. Those who go down to the ships, those who work and find themselves out in the midst of it, they actually get to see the wonders of God. Let that principle serve as a foundation for what else I want to show you. Because I want you to grasp this fact right here that when we're engaged in doing what God's created us to do, we see God move powerfully. And apart from that, you'll never see God move powerfully. So let me give you a statement. It's by our actions, not our intentions, that we see God's glorious power brought to bear. It's by our actions, not our intentions. Man, Chris, I intended to go on a mission trip. Well, praise the Lord. I mean, I intended to share the gospel with my neighbor. I intended to read my Bible. I intended to tell, uh, to, to, to live out my faith at work. I That's wonderful intentions. But it's just pavement until it turns to action. Because listen, it's by our actions where we see the very glorious power of God that's brought to bear. When we see God's power actually move. I remember the first time someone responded to the gospel in a, in a time I was preaching. And uh, the message was terrible. I may preach it again. I think it might be better. But then again, somebody got saved, so maybe it won't be no better. So now, but I'd, I'd shared the gospel. Uh, I was preaching at 
Grove Station Baptist Church, Piedmont, South Carolina. Piedmont, foot of the mount. There wasn't no, it was about as hilly as Rocky Mount. All right, so we're, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching on the message out of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, Dependence Day. That was the message. And uh, I got up and said stuff that I didn't even know. Y'all think I do that regularly. <laughs> but listen, I got up and I was talking about Hebrew stuff. I'd not, I didn't understand Hebrew. I don't understand much of Hebrew now, but I've had training now. But I didn't understand hardly any of it then. And I came to the time of invitation and this little boy, nine years old, come down the aisle with his granddad, granddad in bib overalls, and they came down to the front of the church. I was standing there by myself, came down, and then granddad I said, well, why, why have you come forward? And the grandfather said, he wants to give his life to Christ. And I thought, how did he get saved with that message? <laughs> then, I, then I thought, man, I must be a phenomenal preacher. I mean, after all, look at that. It, no, no, it wasn't about me, but catch this. I never would have seen the power of God had I not surrendered to the work of God. It's by our actions, not our intentions, where we see the glorious power of God brought to bear. Do you understand? Listen, I've watched sinners break and weep and yield their life to Christ and find freedom in sharing the gospel. I never would have seen any of that had I never shared the gospel. Some would ask and say, Chris, don't we say sometimes as Southern Baptists that we, we struggle having folks share the gospel? Yeah, you know why? It's not that we don't know how, it's just that we covered up an intention and we lied on action. And we, hey, listen, if you ever share the gospel with somebody and see somebody get saved, you can't be pent up. You can't be handcuffed. You can't be held back. Because once that's happened in your life, you're like, man, that's phenomenal. One guy explained it to me the other day. He said, Chris, he said, uh, it's been about a year ago. Now, listen, it was rough the way he said it, but I'm going to say it that way and then I'll try to explain it. He said, man, I've been high on a lot of stuff in my life, but nothing's as good as that. He said, nothing's as good as that. When you see somebody's life flipped upside down and now where they were running from God, now they are pursuers of God. When you watch someone's life, which was a shambles, start to be put back together, you can't help but want to have that happen all the time. And hey, listen, it's in our actions, not our intentions, where we see God's glorious power brought to bear. Well, I'd wished I had a passion for evangelism. Somebody asked me that. They said, how do you think we're going to, what do you think we're going to have to do to get people to be passionate about evangelism? Well, I think do it. I mean, like it was once you do it and then God does it, then you can't help but do it. Now, that's theologically accurate. It's just a tongue twister. Anyway, let me move on to this next idea I want you to catch here. Notice not also the, that work, see and work as the image of God, but notice serving as the image of God. Serving as the image of God. God created work and our effort, our pursuit of, of, of labor as part of being made in the image of God. Serving is also part of being made in the image of God. Now, in Genesis 3 which I've alluded to a couple times, after man's fall, do you remember what God's first actions were? After man fell into sin and he experienced judgment as rebels against God, do you remember what God did? Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments, the Lord God made, there's work, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. 
the very first thing God did, now catch this, the sovereign creator of all the universe who had made the rules that man had broken, the very first thing he did was to serve them. He served them. He served them by, listen, covering their shame. God not only prophesied that the Savior would redeem, but he covered the shame of the people with skins. Thank God he didn't just cover us for eternity, but he gave us help over our shame, even in our temporal existence today. Listen, friend, if, you, if you're wandering about today and you're going, oh, I'm just a terrible person, I'm a terrible sinner, you are not. You're a sinful person who... If a Christ follower by the blood of Jesus has been sufficiently bought and paid for and your sin and your shame has been covered by the righteousness of Christ, you are being recreated, you are being made new, you are being raised up, you are being conformed to his image by all circumstances which God works together for good. Hey, listen, he served you by making it possible for you not to have to live in a, in a life, a perpetual cycle of defeat and despair, but rather he elevated you so that you could experience the glory that he had created you for to start with. He showed us that right there in Genesis 3. He's been doing it all throughout Scripture, whether redemption from oppressive nations or food in the wilderness or leaders during wandering or rulers during rebellion. Ultimately, even through his own son as propitiation for sin, God has served his creation. Further, his serving in no way reduces his glory or standing. He is God, not he was God. See, I know in our culture today, the idea of serving somehow makes us seem like we're less. Like, well, you know, I used to have to serve people, but then I got promoted. Uh-uh, listen, if you really get what it is to be in leadership, then you recognize that the, the further you move up the food chain or up the ladder of achievement, the greater, the larger the towel is that you wrap about your waist that you might wash the feet of those around you. Leadership is the greatest act of service ever. Jesus came to serve. Do you remember our memory verse for the month? I should make you stand and recite this. Pastor Jordan would love me for it. Mark 10 verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If it makes you less, Jesus became less. Jesus didn't become less. Serving doesn't make you less. Serving is the fulfillment of the greatness for which you were created for. Jesus came to serve and gave his life a ransom for many. And by the way, he, can, he uh, directed us to do likewise. If you're taking notes, jot down John 13, verses 13 to 15. Jesus has just done one of the most incredible acts of service that's ever been done he's sitting in the upper room in the upper in the culture of the day the job for the least the lowest the youngest of the servants of the household was to wash the feet of travelers when they came through no one washed feet when those guys got together for dinner until Jesus stood up and set aside his, his garments and put on a towel and grabbed a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You'll recall in John 13 how he even debates with Peter. Peter says, Lord, you can't wash my feet. You're in charge. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He said, well, then don't just do my feet. Get my head and behind my ears and everything. 
He said, you're already clean. Your feet are what's dirty, and I'm here to take care of that. And he sat back down, and the disciples are stunned. They're like, what is going on? We don't understand this. Jesus picks up and explains it. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. In fact, Jesus said this is the key to greatness. Matthew 23, verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Ah, oh, man, I'm telling you, I, there's so much in my heart I could say. The, uh, thank you, I might. <laughs> hey, catch this. I've met so many people. Church life is one of those things that there are many people that enter into a revolving door. They'll walk in the front door of a church. They'll be there for a season and then they, they slip out. They disappear. And the larger the church, the more often that happens because it's harder to keep up with folks. It's why we press folks and say be part of a connect group so that you can't get lost in the room. Because uh, what will happen is, is you'll not get plugged in to fulfill purpose somewhere. And then when you don't find your purpose, you start, you just feel like you wander aimlessly. You don't have a place to be. I met folks that have said, man, I just, there doesn't seem to be that much to this Christianity thing. Well, how have you served him? How are you a part of serving him? What are you doing to fulfill the image of God that he created you in? Well, I really haven't found my place. It's kind of like me finding my foot. It's there. You just got to, excuse my South Carolinaism. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. Well, I just don't know what to do. Now, that's a different question. And that's part of what we try to do as a church family is try to help folks figure out what to do and how to do what it is they were created to do. But you were created for something. The, 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 the lack of satisfaction comes when you don't do what it is you were made to do. If that happens, it all falls apart. If you take a note, jot down Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it was from the Lord that you receive, that you will receive the reward of inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, here's what he told them. He said, in everything, in every aspect, it's not just what you do on Sundays. It's not just what you do when you volunteer on a team. It's not just what you do when you're teaching. It's not just what you do when you're leading a Bible study. He said, it's every aspect of what you do in every part of your life. When you, hey, listen, when you pour coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, you're doing it as under the Lord. Yeah. Hey, listen, when you're, when you're wrapping up a Big Mac at McDonald's, as under the Lord. When you're nailing roofing material onto a house, as under the Lord. When you're dealing with that customer that called in to complain and you didn't have nothing to do with their problem, you're just the sounding board, you do it as unto the Lord. Not because you serve them, but because it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. You know, it's pretty easy to do stuff when you realize it's all for Jesus. Now, I know y'all thought you only had to serve fast food for Jesus at Chick-fil-A, but nope, for reals, it's everywhere. In a world where being catered to is esteemed higher than serving, God's called his church to live counterculturally. You and I serve 
And in so doing, we bring glory to God. One final thing, not just work as the image of God or serving as the image of God, but notice number three, redemption as the image of God. Redemption, being redeemed, being restored, being renewed, being brought back to purpose. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The God who declared that the enemy would be crushed by the seed in Genesis 3, that it was the seed of woman, that is the Christ, that would crush them, brought about redemption through the shed blood of Christ. And listen, Jesus knew this. He wasn't a late adopter of some redemptive process. Jesus knew from the very beginning exactly why he came. Matthew 26, verse 24, Jesus said, the son of man is to go just as it is written of him. Well, wait a minute, who wrote it? He did. The son of man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus said, I will go to the cross. I will be crucified. I will be buried. But that's not the end of the story. It will happen just as it is written. I came for all. He knew that was coming from the very beginning. And when he redeemed us, he brought us into, catch us now, don't think Sopranos, but follow this. He brought us into the family business. See, when he adopted you into the family, he adopted you into the family business. Ephesians 1 verses 4 to 6, they precede what we read in verse 7, by the way. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. God chose us. And he adopted us and he gave us his name. And he doesn't look at you as, as the adopted child, but he looks at you as the child, an heir, a, a joint heir with Jesus. That's how he sees you and I. But that means that what he created Christ for, he's called us to partner in in the family business. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus or through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave who the ministry of reconciliation? Well, whoever the us is that got reconciled to himself through Jesus. That's you and me if you're a Christ follower. Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, the world to himself, not not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, not we will be, or we're aspiring to be, or we intend to be, but we are, action, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what he said, the family business it's about being less that others could be brought and restored back to the more for which they were created. 
He said, he said, you and I are as ambassadors with a message of reconciliation. You and I didn't die on the cross. Jesus did it, done it. It's finished forever. It never gets redone again. But he's committed to you and I, the ministry, the message of reconciliation so that all peoples in all places of all tribes, of all tongues, of all nations, everywhere and forever that all of those people might know of God's great love and his work of redemption and reconciliation because we shared with them what God had done for us. He's called us to this and it's an element of our purpose and it's a piece of our Imago Day. All humanity lives in a broken state, but God sent us with the gospel superglue to help pull them back together and to put the pieces just as they were before, only stronger. Now you may say, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not comfortable. I mean, I'm really a broken pot myself. I barely, I'm, a, I'm just a crack pot. I got cracks all in me. It's terrible. I'm, I'm not even sure that I can help anybody else. It's not a matter of what you're sure of. It's a matter of the gospel glue that God entrusted to you and I. And the willingness to fulfill the purpose for which we were created in the image of God by which we were created. He made us that way. You say, yeah, but I've been a mess all my life. Yeah, I know Paul spoke to you too. Are you ready? You're not ready. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, if you're taking notes. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. <laughs> you may not ever write anything in your Bible, but I double underline that. Such were, such were, not such are, not such God will keep bringing up, but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God let me say to you he knew where you were he found you there you didn't surprise him but he didn't leave you there he picked you up he made you new and he's been restoring the image of God in you and he said as I'm restoring not once I get you restored as I'm restoring you I'm commissioning you as ambassadors of reconciliation. Chris, the, are you concerned that the church of God seems to be all the pundits and guys with Excel spreadsheets tend to think that the church of God is, it's just diminishing in importance. It's, uh, it's going away. <laughs> it never goes away. I, I'm not concerned about that. If there's anything that keeps me up at night, it's watching folks leave blessing on the table because they just won't trust God for it. Yeah, but I'm just figuring out my identity. And once I get my identity figured out, then I'm going to figure out my worth. And once I get my worth figured out, then I'll be about purpose. Do you understand that you understand your identity through fulfilling your purpose? And out of your identity flows your purpose. And your worth comes as God uses you in the midst of fulfilling your purpose. And it, as he helps increase your identity, then the sense of your understanding of value. It's a great big ecosystem that works, that gets, de that gets detoured. It stops. It's, 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 put, it's put in park when we leave purpose on the table and we don't do anything with it. That's why 
if you're sitting around going, man, I'm just, I lack content. If you're John sitting in the pastor's office and contentment's lacking and you're a Christ follower, then it's not your identity that's lacking. It's not your worth that's lacking. It's your purpose. Because once you find and start to fulfill your purpose, you'll find contentment exists like nobody's business. Some of, I've met folks that uh, you'd look at their life and you'd go, man, they work so hard and they seem, to be, they seem to be just stressed out all the time. They've got so much on them, yet they seem happy. How is that? They're doing what they were created for. They're doing what God made them for. If you ever find a place to do what God made you for, you'll never, it's been said differently by people who weren't Christians, but let me say it to you this way. You'll never work a day in your life when you figure out what you were created for and you just fulfill that. It really, it literally, it actually is. You'll spend every moment of every day Bringing about the flourishing of all creation. What does this mean? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, you have to accept what God said. Christ follower, I want to speak to you for just a second. You were created for a purpose. And it's as much the image of God as your identity and your worth. You can't leave it on the table and experience the fullness of what God's got in store for you. You have to fulfill it. If you don't fulfill it, you'll never fully grasp what it is to be created in the image of God. This image of God, this purpose is a committed trust to work to bring about the flourishing of the glory of God, to serve as Christ served and in so doing to bring about the glory of God, to pursue and redeem rebels, helping them experience the fullness and the flourishing that God intends and in so doing to magnify the very glory of God. And God invites you and I to join him in that. He invites us. He invites us. He says, come go with. Come and be a part. I don't know about you, but try to think of the hero in your life that you look at. And I mean, they wouldn't even have to work hard at it. If they picked up the phone and called you and said, hey, would you come? And you'd be like, man, I'd love to. Now imagine the creator of the universe and his redemptive mission. And in his restorative work of bringing about his glory, of magnifying his glory through flourishing, he said, come and go with. Christ follower, if today something's missing, it's probably that. But you could start over today. And listen, if you're not a Christ follower today, you're, first of all, I'd commend you for even searching out, trying to figure out what's it all about. But what I'd want you to know is, is that God desires for your flourishing too. He desires for you to experience fullness too. He desires for you to know who you are and how, how you're valued because of your identity. But he also created you to fulfill purpose where you'll find your contentment. And he wants you to experience it too. But your first step is to realize and to accept, to receive, to place your trust in what God's already done through Jesus at the cross. And if you would, your journey toward flourishing begins today. You say, well, I'm not even, I'm not, I, I didn't even get out of my pajamas this morning, Chris. I'm sitting here on my living room sofa in another state, in another place. I mean, honest to goodness, how could I impress God with that? God don't care about your bunny slippers. 
He's looking at your heart. And he'd hunt you down, bunny slippers and all, to let you know that he loves you and desires for you to know and love him and to experience the fullness that he created you for. Would you surrender to him today? Would you trust him? I'm going to invite you to just bow your head and pray with me, would you? Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Chris, and I pray that the message you've just heard has been a blessing to you directly from the heart of God. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at englewoodbaptist.com next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. Today's message was an encouragement to you. Let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us to reach a wider audience with a life-changing message of hope in Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.